Viewpoint on SAFM with Songe Zomapete. Monday to Thursday, 8 p.m. till 10 p.m. Let's talk about all things SAFM, the Viewpoint. Songe Zomapete, Phineas Daone, Kanya Bonani, as well as Lesejo Mangonyane. That's the team. Greg Khos is in the news as Olega Kodashe will at 22 hours read the news. The United States and COVID, the United States and the election, the United States and Africa. Much to talk about. Ms. Joanna Leblanc, National Security and U.S. Foreign Policy Legal Analyst. She is indeed on the line. Joanna, my dear friend, good evening. Thanks for joining us all the way from Washington, District of Columbia. Yes, good afternoon, Sangeso, and all of your amazing listeners. And by the way, um, happy birthday. Thank you, Joe. Thank you very much indeed. I remember the one time we were celebrating your birthday in the fall of 2017, and we had a great time then, and yeah, I have fond memories of you. Yeah, yeah I'll never forget. It was indeed a surprise. Excellent. <laughs> Let's talk about other things which require some attention. The United States, COVID-19, the election, Donald Trump, the United States and the continent that you love so much, Africa. Where do you want to start? Let's start with the United States. Generally, where are things? I mean, you're a foreign policy expert. You're a national security in particular expert. Where is the United States now? What are the threats to U.S. national security, U.S. foreign policy, given the fact that COVID has invited on all nations something which is quite never before seen? Yeah, um, I, I think um, this conversation is timely um, in, in light of what's happening all across the world. Um, the reality is that we are living in a time of intense cultural and political polarization. That's just the reality. Um, COVID-19 um, is something that I don't think the world was ready for. However, I think that SARS, when SARS happened, which had a much higher fatality rate, was the world um, it was the world's um, notice that it's not a matter of when we would have mm. another global health crisis. It was a matter of when. And I think that leaders all across the world failed to take heed to that to that um, notice. But the, rea- the, the, the reality is that I think that regardless of who the leader uh, was in the United States, you know, in terms of the presidency, mm. I don't think that we could have completely avoided uh, where we are today. But what I can tell you is that um, if you have um, leadership that believes in the sciences, right, um, I think that there are things that could have done to mitigate some of the damages. Um, um, but the unfortunate reality is that in the midst of a crisis, where people, black people in particular in the United States, are disproportionately impacted. And then the continent of Africa, which has, you know, below 3,000 deaths as, as it relates to, to the virus, um, it is not the time for the U.S., the biggest funder of the World Health Organization, to pull out. Mm. Um, yes, this is, um, yes, the World Health Organization has some challenges. I, I do think that there are some structural issues that must be addressed, uh, but not in the middle of this crisis when people are dying and lives are at risk. 
the World Health Organization needs all of the resources to adequately respond um, to the virus, and as well as um, take you know, necessary precautions, right? Mm. Um, so I, I, I think that the president's call to um, withhold aid is simply a notice to the world saying that, hey, if you're getting um, funding from the United States, you need to be on top of things. And if you're not, this is what would potentially happen. Because I don't think it serves in the best interest of the American government to withhold aid in the midst of this crisis. Because as the U.S. is withholding aid, guess what's happening? China is exerting global dominance. China is going to countries in Africa and saying, hey, I'm here to help you. And the continent, with a population of roughly 1.2 billion people, uh, is a critical continent with vast resources and where the average age, I believe, is perhaps 19 years old, if I'm not mistaken, or younger. Um, There are plenty of opportunities, so now is not the time. But what I think is going to happen ultimately is that the U.S. government is going to release the aid to the World Health, World Health Organization, but there are going to be some questions, right? And the questions will be along the lines like, you know, when the World Health Organization first received information from, from China, did it have reasons to believe that the numbers were not accurate, right? Because there is a conversation around that. Did China under-report? And, and, and based on my expertise, I do believe that China um, did under-report. Because when you look at it, right, China was a population of 1.4 billion with at least four cities with the size of New York, if not bigger, and with similar density. It does not add up that that the Chinese government was able to contain it and only warn China. So I think, um, you know, the question will be to the who again. Did you have reasons to believe otherwise, right? One. And two, when the leaders of, of the World Health Organization traveled to Wuhan, China, did they visit the public hospital, right, and institutions that would have given them a better indication as to what is really happening on the ground. And, 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 and a host of other questions. Because, so Gezo, uh, the U.S. government, yes, is, is blaming China for underreporting, and I, and I agree. But as a sovereign nation, as the most powerful country in the world, you don't rely on another sovereign state especially a state which you have been in trade war with for data that is critical to the health and safety of your citizens. Let me interrupt you Why there, do you have 800 uh, military bases all over the world? Why do you have an intelligence agency, right? So at the end of the day, the U.S. government and, it, and the institutions are going to have to answer so how did we get here? Because you can't simply blame China and, and the World Health Organization and other institutions. It's unacceptable. 
Excellent. You know, there are so many points that you have raised. I'm just going to cherry pick a couple which for South Africans perhaps who are listening and the continent at large, they would be interested in. Let's talk about the elephant in the room, as always, when there's a discussion to do with the United States and race relations and dynamics of that kind. How COVID-19 has disproportionately affected what in the United States is known as the African-American community. For instance, if you look at states like Mississippi, Alabama and uh, Louisiana, how as much as what 70 at times 80% of the deaths coronavirus related deaths are in the African American community so make a point of that please because we're going to be focusing on that we are equally going to be focusing on United States foreign policy as it pertains to China yesterday and the day before we had a couple of conversations relating to China China in Africa in particular and how perhaps this is an opportunity for the African continent at large to reassess its engagement and the rules that govern such engagements with China because COVID-19 if even temporarily it has slowed things down if not halted them so now with regard to the United States There's been a trade war going on for the longest time because of Trump with President Xi Jinping. Now he is calling it the Chinese virus, and yet a lot of the IP as it pertains to COVID-19 is with the Chinese. They are records. True or false? conspiracy otherwise the point is the information coming out of beijing is that they are on top of things for a population of 1.4 billion as you have said the u.s who came late out of the starting blocks if you like didn't have that information or rather had the benefit of seeing what was going on but didn't react accordingly now china is in pole position ready to direct things and they're already going on a buying spree of distressed companies in Europe as well as the United States. So how the global dominance is now moving in the literal sense from the West to the East, the so-called changing of the God, I want you to focus a lot on that because U.S. foreign policy is going to be seriously tested and comes with that, the security or national security is, if not entirely threatened, it certainly is going to be worried. That's the second point. Third and final point, U.S. commitments and standing obligations or traditions of aid onto the continent. That is something we have to talk about as well. For those of you who are listening, I am speaking to Ms. Joanna Leblanc, a national of the great Republic of Haiti, now residing and living in the United States and doing great work as a national security advisor and U.S. foreign policy legal analyst, talking to us about the United States' response to COVID-19. Of course, we haven't talked about elections. If there is time for that, we will talk about Sleepy Joe and Tricky Trump for the purposes of the U.S. election in November later this year. Do give us a call, 0891-104-207 or WhatsApp voice notes on 0614-104-107. Joanna, let's talk then, please, about the disproportionate effect of the COVID-19 on the African-American community, please. Absolutely. Uh, And and I think, um, you know, there are some parallels between, um, um, there are significant parallels between the issues um, impacting the African-American community in the United States, as well as, um, you know, folks in South Africa, right? You know, similar history um, to a certain extent. Um, but again, the reality is that black people in America or are indeed disproportionately impacted by this virus. So why, right? Is it because they're not taking heed to what um, CDC um, officials have said? Is it because they're not um, perhaps um, listening to the advice of, of their elected officials, right? Some could say yes, but the reality is that 
the reason why people of color are disproportionately impacted by this virus is not because they are not taking heed to the recommendations of CDC, CDC rather, than any, less than any group in America. It is because of decades of political, social, and economic marginalization by the United States government. And let me break that down to you. Because of race disparity in America and, and, and a host of issues around social justice, people of color have historically have not been given access to certain institutions, right? People of color um, historically, you know, even when, even those of us who are highly educated, who have gone to school, who have followed the laws of the land, oftentimes you find yourself not in the position that you should be because of the color of your skin, unfortunately. That is indeed a real barrier that people will tell you is not an issue because we elected former President Barack Obama, a black man. So America is post-racial, when in fact it is not. There are challenges. And, And we are not talking about this person being this white man being racist or this white woman being racist. We are talking about a system that was designed to oppress a certain group of people. In America, the most richest country in the world, many black, I don't have the correct data, I don't have the exact data in front of me, but there is a lot, large segment of the black community that just don't have access to health care. Right? And there is also a large segment of the population that are working in what you called um, entry-level positions, right? That is your, 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 your hotel, your, your, your airport, your, 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 and so on, like entry-level positions. Those folks are what you will consider to be essential workers. So they are going to work every day and putting their lives at risk so that America could continue to progress. But yet, they're the least protected. Um, it's quite unfortunate, but I think what COVID-19 has done is that COVID-19 has, again, reconfirmed some of the challenges that we knew existed in America. And not to go on um, a tangent, but recently a young man was jogging. Now, there are allegations that he had perhaps um, broken into a home. He had burglarized a home a vacant home at at that. But even if that were the case, we watched a video of this black man being murdered by two white men in America, and no one has yet to be arrested. Unacceptable. If it were a white man, we know the outcome would have been different. So that's one of the challenges here in in America, and um, you have elected officials like the Congressional Black Caucus, um, which is essentially black elected members of Congress mm. who are looking for strategies and who are um, trying to introduce legislation in Congress to ensure that this particular group of, of people actually receive the aid and the support that they desperately need in the midst of this crisis. 
Excellent. Let's leave it there, Joanna. Let me invite some callers, please. For those who have missed the introduction, Miss Joanna LeBlanc, who's a native of Haiti, who is a trailblazer in the United States, based in D.C., national security and U.S. foreign policy legal advisor, as well as analyst. We are talking about what's going on in the United States, what's going on as it pertains to COVID, specifically the issues affecting the African-American community. Aid, aid not only that has been withdrawn from the World Health Organization, but in terms of how it continues, if at all, continues to support the African continent. We're going to talk about that. We know that President Ramaphosa and President Trump has recently, last week, had a bilateral. As well as the changing of the guard, real or perceived, China and the United States, COVID-19, the trade war, and also who geopolitically now has got the ascendancy, more especially at a time if it does allow us on the show when the U.S. U.S. general election in November this year is looming. I am taking your calls thus. 891 Standard rules apply. One minute in and out. Pleasantries at your own peril. Voice notes. 40 seconds. Please. In and out. Joanna, let's talk about aid. What is the United States position on Africa in general? Okay, we at least know in relation to WHO. They decided that the WHO has not been responsive and they have, as a result, pulled back on their funding. But President Ramaphosa and Trump had a conversation last week where the U.S. government, essentially through PEPFOR, have now given South Africa for COVID specifically 8.5 million USD, which is quite great. But does that speak to anything positive other than the fact that it was always going to happen or is there more that I'm not alive to at this point? First and foremost, as it pertains to U.S. aid towards um, the continent of Africa, what we do know is that during the Trump, uh, when Trump was was campaigning, he made it very clear that he was going to be the president of the American people, not the president of the world, and that he was sick and tired of the U.S. being the country that gives so much aid to other nations all over the world, right? Um, and 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 when he took an took office, he continued with that with that mindset, with that philosophy, and and because of that, we have seen a reduction in foreign aid um, significantly, right, to um, to nations all over the world, not just the African continent. But as it pertains to the funding um, that was allocated to um, South Africa. Here's the issue. A lot of a lot of times people fail to realize when the U.S. government allocates funding to a particular country, the money does not go to the government directly. How the money is allocated is that it is often allocated to USAID, right, and the State Department. Then they execute projects on the ground with other institutions and obviously with government institutions in that country because you know oftentimes you hear the u.s spending millions and billions of dollars all over the world to strengthen democracy or to strengthen health sectors or whatever the case may be and and then the conversation is but those systems are still a failure and we blame the government for not doing what they are supposed to do, not realizing that the aid oftentimes does not go directly to the government. It goes to American institutions, such as the USAID. Uh, so, because so, I think that is a major misconception because people don't quite understand 
have foreign assistance. Would that? In a lot of times. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Joanna. Just, just on that point, let's just take everything you have said for what it is. Is that then an imperialist approach of the United States to win over, if not to strong arm, recipient countries of U.S. open close quote donations? Would that be a fair assessment, given the fact that it's very much incumbent on U.S. foreign policy to almost have every one of its fingers in every continent and just about in every country? from Gezo is that um, I think COVID-19 is an opportunity for us to get it right. COVID-19 has, made it, has, again, reconfirmed the notion that we are living in a global village. We are highly interconnected because who would have thought something that experts have said originated from Wuhan, China, has now disrupted an entire global economy and has created so much uncertainty, right? So that, again, explains to us that we are indeed one global village and that we must work collectively for the benefit of humanity. So what I think should happen in terms of foreign assistance to countries throughout the African continent is that we have to take a different approach. A different approach must be must be addressed. For example, I think that you know the the IMF, the International Monetary, Monetary Fund, recently announced a suspension of debt for I believe twenty five countries, which some are located on the African continent. I say great, right? But that is not sufficient. I think that the IMF should instead cancel the debt of some of the African countries on the continent so that those countries can utilize the funding in order to strengthen the institutions and health sectors. Because the only time when you actually receive the money in hand as a foreign state in many cases, is when it's through a loan from the INF. Obviously, there's interest that has to be paid back, right? So it's, it's, it's um, deposited into the government's um, account. But I, I, I think a, a suspension is not so sufficient because a lot of these countries in Africa have to utilize the little resources that, that they have to combat this global health crisis that are putting so many of their institutions and their people at risk. That's number one. Number two, the notion of aid to the continent is not working. We need to... Sorry, I'm I'm sorry to interrupt you there, Joanna, because I do have a guest on the line, and I want to keep him waiting. His name is KGM. He's a regular caller. He's very omniscient. KGM, good evening. (laughs) Good evening, Songeza. Good evening to your, your guest and to the listeners. Two very crucial points. Um, your, your guest should visit our website, rrasa.co.za. First, first of all, the, the system is designed, was designed never ever to favor Africa or Africans. Now, 
for Africa to even look up to the likes of America, uh, China, or any other foreign country, it's just a perfect recipe for disaster. Two, America is in a shaky ground because for a long time they neglected the part of the controlling arm of the economy of the world. China was awake in putting together the the small numbers, including Africa, together, and China now is in the driving force. Last point. Africa, Africans in diaspora, in the diaspora, needs to start getting into the economic control, meaning we need to get into finance. Mm. We need to get into the, 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 the key controlling. When we were in, in this lockdown across the world, the, the sectors that were not close, those are the sectors that we need to take over and control. So doi politicians and all of that is not going to give us the, 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 the type of freedom that we deserve. Songezo? Thanks for taking my call. Excellent. Short and sweet. Thank you so much, KGM. It's amazing what rules can do to guys like KGM. We love him nonetheless. A question again for you, Johanna, as you contemplate what KGM has said. Here's a message from one of our listeners. Good evening, Songezo. Question to your guest, Johanna. Here goes. What role could countries like Cuba play after COVID? Cuba seems to have strong ties with China. Cuba has ties with South Africa, and South Africa in turn has a loud voice in Africa. The U.S. donated some money to South Africa some weeks back, and then we saw Cuba, an ally of China, sending doctors to assist South Africa. Are we seeing developments of a second wave of another Cold War here? Those questions from KGM, this one that I have just read out, and then just a comment, salutations. In the spirit of being proactive, is it possible that the guest could perhaps prescribe a panacea or two for how we can begin to address the challenges that we describe? We have a fall forward. Where to from here? That's Ndadelebone Mohale from Bloemfontein. Three questions or comments for you to contemplate, Joanna. We're going to take an ad break now just to give you a bit more time to organize your response, at which point after we will give you an opportunity to finalize the debate. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songhezomapete on SAFM. Okay, it seems like the voice note that I wanted to play is not ready. Joanna, do you want to respond to those issues that were raised, please, before we took the ad break? Yes, um, I think that some of the questions that were raised um, are actually in alignment with um, the strategy that I was, that I was going to put forward. Sure. And I think I, I one talked about the cancellation of, of debt um, from financial institutions here in the, in the United States, and two, um, to strengthen um, our government institutions, because part of the issue that exists is the weakening of our institutions. And I think that when you have, um, you know, other forces that come into these countries that are providing services to the citizens, it further, in some cases, it further um, weakens those institutions because there's no need to rely on them anymore because we have other sources to rely on. So let's, we need to focus on strengthening our government institutions. And three, this is a time, because as, as we see, um, the world has relied heavily on technology. You know, the notion of working remotely has been um, well adopted all over the world, something that I think um, a lot of our um, bosses who are upset 
obsessed with seeing us in the office <laughs> are probably not mm-hmm. too happy about right now because they can't control us in a moment like this. But but I think that it is a time for Africa to focus on stre- strengthening the tech sector. The reality is that um, in 2019, um, roughly 525 million folks from the African continent access the Internet. And we're saying access. Access the internet does not mean they had access to the internet twenty four seven, right? Yeah. So I think that we need to to um, the, so the the kind of support that we need to be getting from 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 foreign um, government is to to strengthen and to support our tech sector so that the youth of of Africa could be able to better provide assistance to not only the motherland but also um, can take um, job opportunities from anywhere in the world, and which would increasingly uh, be favorable to the country's GDP. So, so, um, so these are the three key points I think that are critical right now at this moment. But one last point. Yeah. Um, the reality is that in America, foreign policy is done by strategic, I will say, lobbying before Congress. Oh, yeah. This is the time for African governments to partner with the diaspora, with lobbying firms in the United States and other places of the world to ensure that their interests are protected before Congress. Because people are going to be fighting for resources. And those whose voices are being heard at the table are going to be the winners moving forward. Fantastic. Final comments, Joanna, because we have run out of time. I'm going to skip that conversation that I was hoping we would have in relation to the U.S. and China global dominance and the changing of the God. But we can't escape a conversation, even if it's for a minute. The elections are looming and looming large in November. Campaigning, for the most part, has been suspended. Trump has an advantage. He is the president. He's got the benefit of being seen. Apparently, Sleepy Joe is ahead of him, given the fact that it's a non-economic question that now faces the United States. Outside the economy, who is more trustworthy? It's a CNN poll nonetheless, but it is a poll that puts Joe Biden ahead of him. Is there any way of calling between these two men, given the fact that in political terms, same age, same generation, both white males, now who can prevail and why? The reality is that... um Popular vote does not win the election in America, and we saw that with um, Hillary Clinton last election. Um, so it's going to be a very contentious um, election. Um, and as you said, um, the incumbent in America um, usually um, has uh, a higher up. And um, my prediction is that Donald Trump will be reelected. And the reason why um, Joe, former president, Vice President Joe Biden, um, he's not an inspiring um, candidate. He does not have the ability to inspire people. The kind of campaign he is running right now is the campaign that probably would have helped him maybe a decade ago. This is a different era. America needs someone, a candidate, who will inspire them to go out and vote. A, a, a candidate that is willing to dismantle um, the American system that is not working for so many in, in, in this country. And like Bernie Sanders 
you know, he had the ability to inspire people. But if Joe Biden is to win this election, he has to bring a very inspiring VP. And it has to be a woman, in my opinion. Stacey um, Adams. So, so in, in a nutshell... Is I, that I woman Stacey Adams or is it like, Elizabeth Warren or Amy Klobuchar? I don't know at this moment. But, but, but I do think that it has to be a woman who, who has energy. And as we have seen, um, you know, unfortunately for Joe Biden, he is losing his memory. Joe Biden cannot, you know, his thoughts are not as crisp as it once used to be. We are living in unprecedented times. Yes, he has the experience. But I think the timing is not on his is not in his favor. And what we have seen time and time again, there is something about Donald Trump that people are attracted to. He has a way with the media, and as a, 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 an elected official, the media is your best friend. The more airtime you get, the better off you are. And before COVID nineteen, Trump could have said the, the economy was doing well. You've given us lots to think about. We have run out of time. Mine to you and on behalf of our listenership is to simply say thank you. There have been a lot that we from this cocktail will nibble on further. And who knows, you might just be our guest sometime soon. Joanna LeBlanc. Thank you very much, Songhezo, and your team. Take care. Excellent. You do too. Here are a couple of voice notes that were delivered during the course of time, but we were unable to play them early on. Nonetheless, let's play them and see or hear rather what our faithful listeners had to say on this topic. Happy birthday, Mfowe, too. Please ask your guest to elaborate more on the climate change as well as the global warming in terms of the new policy that Trump was talking about uh, to fight the COVID-19 and also put pressure on the UN in terms of the World Health Organization. We just need clarity on that. Thank you and enjoy your day. Jack here in Pumalanga province, Nelspreet. Your guest right there has very, very good points. Because like, as I actually look in this matter that is going on, um, currently, like, why is actually Donald Trump investigating labs of China where whether this coronavirus wasn't actually created in those labs instead of actually focusing the meta into solving the issue that we're facing right now so yeah so this is really really bad and nothing is favoring nothing is favoring Africa and it's socially quite sad in its re its truth and we cannot run away from it Thank you very, very much, Jack, to you, my brother in Bumalang. We appreciate your thoughts. Of course, your comments will be addressed possibly on another show sometime very soon. I do not dismiss them. I recognize them. Perhaps it's a pity we were not able to play that voice note at the time we wanted it because Joanna might have been able to respond and the voice note after that as well. Thanks so much for your time. 2049, let's take a quick ad break before we continue this evening's conversation.